0: from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models episode number seven. As per Matt last episode, this is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach. I like that. It sounds slick. That's actually a really, really great slogan considering that you pulled it just right out of your butt on the spot. I'm really impressed. <laughs> See, I, I wonder if most marketing is actually like that, where you just kind of make it up on the spot. I think so. I think it's, I think it was uh, Einstein who
1: said he got a lot of his best ideas while shaving. So yeah.
0: <laughs> spontaneous is best sometimes. Some marketing strategist who's listening to this is going to send us a really, really angry message, so <laughs> please do. I'm curious to learn actually more about how this stuff works in the real world. And guys, uh, throughout this podcast, I might be
1: clearing my throat and uh, just coughing, so I'm getting over a cold, so you've been warned.
0: You're fine. You're fine. Uh, We've also made some hopefully significant improvements to the audio quality. Uh, You know, we are white belts when it comes to audio and recording for podcasts, but I think we've hit that sweet spot now. So let us know if the audio quality is more manageable. Hopefully it's a lot better than it has been in the first few episodes.
1: Yeah. We've, we've upgraded from our parents' closet into the the bedroom that me and Steve used to sleep in.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We've, (laughs) we've tried literally like every single recording situation that we can come up with you know we don't have a sound studio or anything so we've carded this tiny little microphone all over the place trying to figure out where is the optimal place to record um, i think that the bedroom i grew up in seems to be the best spot at this current time so yeah. hopefully it works out well so today, our topic, continuing the, the deviation away from the mechanical aspects of jiu-jitsu, we're going to start getting more into the mental aspects of jiu-jitsu over the next few episodes. In this episode in particular, we're going to be talking about self-awareness. And when we say self-awareness, I mean, this is a really loaded term that can have a lot of meanings, but particularly we mean having a conscientious approach to how you train. So paying attention to your your mind, paying attention to your body when you're out there training, not just doing things without thinking, but having a conscientious approach to what you're doing. It's so important in jiu-jitsu to pay attention to what your brain and your body are doing, especially at the more early levels of jiu-jitsu, because a lot of the things that can result in really really fast and rapid gains they don't involve learning a new technique but they involve kind of understanding how to how your body and your mind should respond to situations developing a resilient approach um, and making sure that you're maximizing the use of what your body gives you and as we all know uh, as
1: jujitsu practitioners Jiu-jitsu is you know it's a physical sport but it's so much more mental than it is physical of course you need your body as the vessel to carry out your goals and and whatever type of uh type of things you're, you're trying to achieve on the mats but you need to have a, a mind that is you know adaptive and open to new ideas and especially if you're a competitor you have to have that mindset where um you're going to be able to play whatever kind of rule set you're in to be able to be successful in the tournament that you're competing in. And just, it's so much more of a mental art than it is a physical art.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's one of the things that I love about Jiu Jitsu is it, it, you can continuously improve your Jiu Jitsu game right into the late years of your life because you don't need to rely on physicality to be good at Jiu Jitsu. I mean, hey, it, it helps, right? If, if all other things are equal athletic advantage helps but you can be a super high level grappler just by winning at the mental aspect of the game that's right and that's why you see sometimes people coming into the dojo they're
1: high level bodybuilders or football players or just a high level athlete but without that mental knowledge and the conceptual foundation that's required to be uh, a good jiu-jitsu fighter of course they they their strength just sort of starts to work against them so we're going to address
0: some of those things today yeah yeah we want to talk about some of the Things that you can tweak in your game to make really, really rapid gains, regardless of what your jiu-jitsu strategy or learning method is, right? Just some ways that you can be better in tune with your mind and your body. Uh, these things can make dramatic gains in terms of your performance on the mat. So i guess just to start off with we can talk a little bit about the the theory of mindfulness now I, i'm not gonna get into a big discussion about meditation or anything like that but um, the the concept of mindfulness basically is, is it's blown up a lot in the last few years there's been a ton of research around this field but it basically what it means is paying conscious and deliberate attention to what your mind and your body are doing rather than just like letting your mind and your body drive you developing an an understanding that you're actually something kind of more than or separate from your mind and your body these are just organs that do things and you can live in one of two ways you can let your mind and your body drive you or you can drive your mind and your body right it, it, it really what a lot of the strategy comes down to is you know if you're feeling fear or anxiety rather than letting those feelings drive your actions taking a deep breath and taking a step back and observing what your mind and your body are doing and understanding that you can actually control those things Um, that kind of creating a distance and creating space between yourself and the act you know the what your mind and your body are doing that's mindfulness and understanding how that works is a key to a lot of the mental models that we're going to talk about today some of these involve paying attention to what your body is doing some of them involve paying attention to what your 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 mind is doing some of them involve paying attention to what your partner is doing and in, in all of these cases it kind of falls under the category of mindfulness yeah it's it's a great uh just what you said about how
1: you can you can use your own uh you can drive your own body and mind and take advantage of things like fear uh sure. especially you know when we first start jujitsu not a lot of us are are very um confident but going into competition is when you actually start to feel things like fear and nervousness and and they'll really work against you um if you don't know how to control them and and as a competitor you know it's pretty common in fact it'd be strange if for the first few competitions you do you don't feel those those symptoms of of fear it's really gsp explains it really well in in his book the uh the way of the fight where he talks about how fear can either drain you and absolutely make you exhausted. You have this big adrenaline dump and then you can't even seem to move. It's like you have a bad dream and you know, you're trying to swim, but you can't move your arms or you try and scream, but you can't, you, you don't hear anything in your dream. It's the same thing. So a lot of the time, if, if in a competition, it'll feel like your arms, you can't grip how you want. You slow down. Um, and, and if you can take a step back, you, you're able to actually take that fear and and look at things almost from a bird's eye perspective, and that's when you can actually turn that into energy that will power you, rather than slow you down. And it's something that I've I've struggled with many times, and I still it's still a struggle. That's that's one of the reasons why I love competition so much is because every time you go out there, you have to it's a battle. You're you're not just fighting the guy across the mat; you're fighting yourself, and you have to be able to to slow things down and uh and it's such a physical the symptoms of of this can be so physical in nature Mm -hmm. that you actually are exhausted
0: sometimes before you fight if you let your mind get to you yeah and even you know even as someone who doesn't compete this can happen just in regular training sometimes right if you're um it, when you're starting off, I mean when you when you start off at jujitsu, you're basically going to be terrified for at least the first few days if nothing else, unless um, you're a psycho. Unless you're yeah, unless you're just totally crazy. Yeah, or you wrestled in college. Or something <laughs> or, like that. Yeah, or you're like a D1 wrestler. Yeah. Uh but even even that aside, you know, when you're you're sparring with someone who's way more experienced or just totally yoked and gigantic you know there can be an intimidation factor there too and that can that can impede your ability to train and it can definitely reduce your enjoyment of jiu-jitsu as well um, there's a lot of research around this area of study now around the area of mindfulness and it's basically demonstrated to actually have dramatic physical benefits to your quality of life if it's something that you practice And one of the things about jiu-jitsu is that it is a great way to develop mindfulness, right? It it allows you to get into a situation where you can pay close attention to what your mind and your body are doing, and over time, you can also... Train yourself to distance yourself from your mind and body a bit, and eventually drive drive your mind and body rather than being reactive to everything that you know to your fears, to your emotions, to your breathing. You can dictate the pace, and this is a tremendously useful skill set for all walks of life. Um, nice. As you know, as, an, as someone who works in high pressure situations in an office, sometimes <laughs> it can be tremendously valuable to be mindful of when you're getting angry or when you're getting frustrated, and to you know, to control those feelings and use them as a motivating factor rather than taking them out on the people around you. As a parent, this is incredibly important. You can, with a bit of mindfulness training, you can become a much better parent because rather than, you know, basically reducing yourself to the, to the mindset of a toddler and screaming at your kid, you can take the kind of higher level, calm, cool, collected approach. And that's what mindfulness can give you. So again, if there's one thing that everyone should hopefully get out of jujitsu, it's using this as a vehicle to train mindfulness. Yeah, and, and I'll just I'll
1: just use um I'll just reminisce a little bit about my past life when I was a, a chef, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to refer to this several times throughout this podcast. But uh, you want to like high high level high stress situations in, in my job. Pretty much being a, if you're anyone who's listening out there that has worked in the culinary industry knows that. Uh, it is a high level. Uh, you're, there's a lot expected of you, you know, and you're going to be held accountable. It, you know, if, if you work in a place that's legitimate at all, you're going to be held accountable for your mistakes mm-hmm. uh, and you're going to be praised for the things you do well in the culinary industry. And every day is a battle. Every day is a grind. You're expected to produce a lot. It's stressful and, not, and it's not meant for everyone. And one thing that uh, the culinary arts actually taught me that really translated into jujitsu for me which is interesting because it's the opposite of what you're talking about, how jiu-jitsu can help you become better in other aspects of life. But in this case, I did culinary arts first. So I learned that, hey, this is going to be a stressful situation. And becoming overwhelmed with stress in the heat of the moment during a, a lunch service – quickly will lead to a deterioration of morale and also your abilities you know you'll start spinning your tires in the mud if you if you fall behind too much when the bills are pouring in so it's important to realize that you know even even when the bills are pouring in and you're falling perpetually behind that you know you just keep working keep grinding keep grinding and eventually things do level out and uh, for all the chefs out there you'll see when you're working with people who has who has the ability to take this and and move forward with it and use it to power them and motivate them and who crumbles under pressure and those are generally the people that don't last in the culinary arts
0: yeah it's interesting because uh you know you can learn mindfulness from almost any field right and it's applicable to almost any field it's almost a universal mental model Uh, but some people never do learn it and these are the people who always seem to get frustrated or stressed or they're always complaining about something they're always a victim um but the thing about mindfulness that it took me a while to understand is it's not about defeating stress or defeating frustration or defeating fear. It's about coming to terms with and eventually accepting those feelings, That's right? right. By, by being mindful, you're not trying to prevent fear from existing. You're not trying to not be fearful but rather you're accepting that you're fearful and coming to terms with that, right? Um, you, they're, they're, you can never really fully control what your mind and your body are going to do. They're, they're organs that are programmed by, you know, millions of years of biological programming. You can never truly prevent your, your brain from being fearful when there's a fearful situation. That's just in your biology. But what you can do is you can be aware of that fear and you can come to terms with that fear and you can use that fear as a motivating factor rather than letting your fear drive you and drive how you make your decisions.
1: That's right. I mean, fear is a, it's a, it's a defense mechanism that's been putting us since caveman times. You know, there's a saber-toothed tiger. You got to either run away, or you got to build obstructions that will save you, or prevent uh, death of you and your family, or you got to kill that saber-toothed tiger. It's important to understand that fear even though it's scary and, and can, uh, it can negatively affect you if you can't overcome it, it's a, an extremely strong tool used to overcome adversity and should be looked at as such, not as something that's detrimental to us, but something that can actually help
0: us once we learn how to harness it. Yeah, Josh Waitzkin gives a great example about how to kind of use mental distractions and frustration as a motivating factor in his book. Uh, we, we talked about Josh a little bit earlier, and actually in the future, I'd like to do a whole episode just based on his book, um, but he's a, a jiu-jitsu black belt under Marcelo Garcia. Probably more famous though for uh, being a, a chess grandmaster and being the inspiration for the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer, as well as being a, a competitive Tai Chi world champion. Please
1: call it what it is. It's a push hands. It's world push hands. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: but he, he actually wrote a fantastic book called The Art of Learning, and he gives some good examples in there about how um, he was able to channel his frustrations and his stress and use them as motivating factors. So when you know when he had like a kind of a a negative thought or, or just something else negative stuck in his head how to separate from that and use that as a motivating factor or when his opponent was doing something to intentionally get under his skin how to use that as a motivating factor this kind of stuff is super important not just in competitive sports but in all walks of life because you know to matt's point we're all wired to be fearful. Unfortunately, the kind of things that our ancestors were afraid of, like getting eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, you know, we don't have those problems today. We're more concerned about more mundane things like paying the bills or getting to work on time. But that's you know the saber-toothed tiger brain reflexes still kick in and you know we're in some in some ways because of that you know we treat things as life and death situations even when they're not and that's all the more reason why to be successful today you have to learn to come to terms with those those emotions and what your body is feeling and rather than fighting it to just learn to come to terms with it and use it as a motivating factor
1: yeah we're, we're not we're we we shouldn't be striving to have a comfortable life or a life removed of fear, but more to have the tools to deal with and overcome a, a tough life, and yeah. that's sort of the the mindset that we should go. Th- that we should have going forward think think about a life that you would have where there's no fear there's no adversity there's nothing to overcome everything is just comfortable um it, it's not motivating it, it's something that is going to make you a lazy person something that's going to make you uh have regret and resent when you get into your older age okay so com- comfort is something that should be earned if you have a day off it shouldn't be like you have every day off you should always have goals and things that you try to accomplish every day uh when, one of my big fears is that i go to bed and and i say to myself i didn't do you know as best as i can and uh being a gym owner it's definitely a step down in terms of stress from my last career which was culinary arts but at the same token there was several years there where i had to do both of those jobs and that was very difficult so now i feel like i've kind of earned the right to have a life where uh, i can be more with my with my kids more i can focus more on jujitsu as a competitor as a coach and uh you know it's 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 more sweet to have those days off when you when you
0: have a when you work hard 90 percent of the time yeah got it makes sense makes sense so we've talked kind of a, about the general idea of mindfulness um maybe now we can talk a little bit about some specific manifestations of that in jujitsu so I guess first of all talking about kind of uh, what what your body does and and being mindful of your body. There are a few things that beginners are always told in Jiu-Jitsu that actually take a long time to master. And honestly, you're going to be much better off if you learn to master them earlier into your game rather than later. One of the most common things, of course, is learning to, con- to control your breathing. Now... This is something that I remember from when I started out, you know, we, when we did our warm up, we would go through all of these exercises. And one of the things our instructor actually had us do was practice controlled breathing. So we would do like bridges and shrimps and all of these other jujitsu applicable drills. And then we do controlled breathing practice, which I thought at the time was kind of weird and hokey. You know, I didn't really get what this had to do with choking people or breaking arms, but over the years, I've kind of come to understand just how important it is to control your breathing. Um, the one of the main reasons why it's important to control your breathing is that the way that you're breathing is very much going to set the pace of a lot of the other things that you then go on to do in jiu-jitsu. There's a weird thing with the human body where sometimes the actions that we take actually dictate our mindset. This is absolutely bizarre, but it's been proven in a few situations. So, kind of one of the more common examples that you've probably heard of is that it's actually been scientifically proven that if you force a smile even if you're not actually happy the act of forcing a smile will make you happy it's weird but like sometimes what you do with your body starts to dictate your performance and your mindset and that's one of the reasons why controlled breathing is so important because jujitsu is about in a lot of ways is about energy conservation and by controlling your breathing you can control your heart rate and that ultimately means you can control your energy and in a long fight that's going to be super important.
1: Yeah, a prime. I love the the uh, the example you use about forcing a smile. Uh, another example is you know one of the legends of our sport, Marcelo Garcia. Whenever you watch him, he always tries to keep a straight face, and he's been asked about that before in interviews. The reason he 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 tries to keep a straight face even when he's facing extreme pressure is because it calms him down subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you're absolutely right, Steve. When you, when you when you do physical things like control your breathing and you know you keep a straight face in, in times of adversity it keeps you calm rather than mm-hmm. losing your mind starting to scream starting to complain about things things unravel very quickly yeah and uh, absolutely controlled breathing is something that's so important too because the more that you control your breathing the more you can regulate the uh, the oxygen that's being supplied to your body to your red blood cells and to your brain mm-hmm. so uh just like in any sport you know imagine if you're a weightlifter and you don't control your breathing uh trying to, trying to lift heavy weights while holding your breath or even breathing off uh, off beat to to your repetitions is going to be really bad for your performance so just having a rhythmic controlled breathing uh, sequence is going to help you become uh, way more successful and I mean pr- pretty much any activity but certainly any physical activity like you said jiu-jitsu is all about energy conservation and and to another note it's it's you know it, for those that are more experienced as grapplers uh it, it's it's important to remember that like when you first started jiu-jitsu and and you were you were breathing really hard and and you know of course you don't know as many techniques back then you don't understand exactly what you're doing you might notice that at the end of the at the end of class you you at least for my own personal experience i'd be absolutely exhausted like mm-hmm. really exhausted everything everything i put i had to put all my physical effort into class and now I find that because I use more uh, concepts and more, I have more of an efficient game as a black belt, you know, you almost have to work harder to get to get to that level of a workout because you find that you're way more efficient in your uh, energy conservation and just your mechanics so you know as you progress through jiu-jitsu it's very possible that it'll actually be harder to get as good of a workout uh, depending on
0: who's in your training room yeah that's actually definitely true i mean I, i'm not a competitor but one thing i've i've observed is that in jiu-jitsu You never want to go 100%. Um, Simply because if you're going 100%, you're not being controlled, and you're going to burn out your energy. You're going to burn out your breath. You know, you're it's actually not good for you over the long term because you don't need to go 100% to beat someone. I always, if I'm having a competitive role, I'm usually trying to go about 80%. I find that going above that is actually more to my detriment than to my benefit, especially against a much larger opponent. We're trying to spaz out is actually not helpful at all.
1: Yeah, and I and I think I think that the only time to go a hundred percent would be in a time of a competition when you know you even if you're down on a scoreboard or if it's coming down to the wire the clock is running out and and you know we have to throw a hail mary or something like that uh people can look at hundred percent in a lot of different ways it could mean you know try to pass as hard as you can or it could mean dedicating yourself a hundred percent to a competition getting your mind right getting your diet right. So. Definitely you want to, you want to put a hundred percent effort into a competition preparation. And if you're behind and it's time, you know, you're fighting the best in the world, you might have to go a hundred percent, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're rolling a hundred percent hard. And, uh, there, there is a time and place to do that, but it's definitely not as common for me in the practice
0: room. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing you brought up that I, uh, you kind of brought up that I think we can expand upon was, you know, how one of the reasons why you control breathing is to control the flow of oxygen to your brain um you know man you want to talk about how to defend yourself from a choke one of the best ways to uh, reduce the the potency of your opponent's chokes is to control your breathing um if you someone puts you in a choke and you panic and you start hyperventilating the problem is you're probably actually going to wind up uh, passing out sooner whereas if you're slow and controlled and you're calm as you're escaping I, i don't know if this is scientific or not but i've always found the choke is much less effective and it gives me more time to work my way out of it and it also will give you that
1: third person point of view where you can sort of take a step back and assess really your options in that given scenario rather than just you know flailing out which which is our natural reaction Mm -hmm. if someone's trying to choke you unconscious your natural reaction is oh my god get me out of here like i gotta go as fast as i can but if you can calm down your breathing you will be able to take a step back hopefully, and assess your options of, of escape and and move forward from there. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. So on on kind of the flip side of, of this, you know, we've talked about being mindful of your breathing. There's also uh, the matter of being mindful of the rest of your body particularly your your muscles right um everyone has always been told in jujitsu you want to stay loose this is advice that is given to everybody but it's actually really really hard to follow i mean i train with like high level brown belts who still struggle with this
1: yeah and when you're brand new to jujitsu people are telling you to stay loose you're like well what do you mean like this guy's trying to break my arm how how, what do you mean stay loose like it's a it's a really vague term but hopefully we can we can sort of talk about what that might mean
0: yeah I, i would actually say that if you want to dramatically improve your game today. Um, the two things that you can do right now to make massive gains are to be mindful of your breathing and to be mindful of your muscle tension and when you're staying loose. So what we mean specifically when we, when we say stay loose is um, when someone grabs you or you're put in a situation where you're kind of fearful about something happening or when you get overly excited because you think you're going to get a pass or a sweep or submission it's common to really tense up your muscles you know it's like like you're really like trying to use your strength and a lot of the time you don't even realize you're doing this you basically kind of clamp up and you can feel when your opponent does this because you can actually feel like you know their their muscles kind of lock. they get really rigid and, and strong um and that's a natural response right that's basically a fight-or-flight response and a lot of the time people don't realize they're doing that um where this often happens a lot of the time is if you're being put in a situation where you're fearful um for like even for high level people a lot of the time if they're not comfortable with the position like if you take someone who is always a a ground player and you get them to do stand-up a lot of the time they're going to be really, really stiff and rigid because they're afraid of getting thrown, right? I admit that this is a weakness in my game. It's very hard to avoid because it's your body's programming. But the problem with allowing your muscles to go really rigid like that is kind of twofold. Um, Well, actually, maybe even more than twofold. Um, Number one, if your body is really rigid and you're burning through muscle power like that, it's going to increase um, issues with lactic acid where basically you're going to burn out your muscles faster i think everyone's probably had this experience where you're trying to like triangle someone and you think you've got it and you start squeezing and squeezing and squeezing but you don't got it and then when you finally let go your legs are so burned out you can't do anything and your opponent just crushes you now because your legs don't work anymore and then you're you're even deeper in the hole exactly yeah so so that's one example of of where you, you overly tense up um another downside to that of course is if you are tense then it's easier for your opponent to manipulate your body and this seems counterintuitive right it seems like well if i'm using my muscles surely it's harder for my opponent to move me but that's actually not the case um bruce lee had a fantastic quote about this where he talks about how you know the um if there's a big storm the tree that is stiff and rigid is going to break but the willow that is bending and fluid is not um i i have a quote here as well it's pretty much the same line from Confucius: "The green reed
1: which bends in the wind is stronger than the mighty oak which breaks in the storm." it's Pretty much exactly the same thing you're talking about, Steve. And especially when we're t- when I was learning judo, uh if you're gripping up with someone and you're standing, you know. Uh, it- everyone who's new to judo stiff arms yeah so we we totally straighten our arms and and we grip as hard as we can completely burning out our hands and we think that what we're doing is managing distance uh when in fact what we're doing is we're creating fastened levers to our opponent's gi which are actually levers that can be used to throw us when if we just kept our arms flexible not only is it harder to now activate those levers and and be thrown but it's harder for our opponent to uh to telegraph or it's, it's harder for our opponent to, to read what we're actually trying to accomplish
0: yeah yeah and on the ground too you know if someone is kind of loose in their limber you know if you try to like arm drag someone it's really hard to do it if their arm is kind of loose because yeah you can like grab their their elbow but <coughs> their shoulder and their wrist are not necessarily going to be locked into position so they can kind of fluidly bend out of it whereas if someone is grabbing onto you really really tight and their whole arm is locked solid that's like a solid structure that you can just pull to the side it's like the difference between trying to like move a stick of spaghetti versus a wet noodle of spaghetti, right? The the stick of sti- spaghetti is a lot easier to move uniformly and to break, <laughs> That's right. whereas the wet noodle is kind of like, yeah, you can move one end of it, but then what's the other end going to do? You got to have a lot more control. Yeah. If, if you're on
1: top and you, you know, you have good pressure on someone and you're super rigid and just all of your focus is holding them down and your body is, is, you know, like I said, as rigid as it can be, you're actually going to be in a lot of cases, depending on your posture structure base, you're going to be possibly easier to manipulate than if your body was, uh, like that of a waterbed where you're kind of offset your weight, you're awkwardly displacing your weight, uh, and not directly on top of your opponent. So having that that regulated tension in your body and knowing when to be limber and when to be firm mm-hmm.
0: uh, it takes experience and is it's an art in itself yeah yeah and and there's one more benefit or one more downside to tensing, <coughs> to tensing up like that and that is that it telegraphs fear to your opponent right so much of jiu-jitsu is your mindset relative to to your opponent i, I think everyone's had this experience where you're about to roll with someone and you just think to yourself man i'm gonna get killed here and you always do. <laughs> but there's other times when you're rolling with someone and you think, I'm, I'm just better than this guy. And you almost always win, right? Like, a lot of the time, the mindset that you go into something with dictates what's going to happen. And, I mean, I know this sounds really kind of touchy-feely and mystical, but it's really not, right? If my opponent grabs me and they immediately stiff-arm and clamp up, I know that they're afraid of me. I know they're doing that because they've activated the fight or flight response in their brain and they don't have enough mindful awareness to control their body and when that happens i immediately know i already have the advantage and that emboldens me to be more aggressive so not only are you hurting your own mindset by clamping up like that but you are emboldening and empowering your opponent so you should absolutely never clamp up if not for that reason it's like telegraphing to your opponent that they're the better man or woman and that automatically gives them a mental edge yeah when we're talking about judo in a standing position or even sweeping from the bottom position
1: uh it's really important to 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 stay loose so that you can uh kind of mask where your kazushi is going to come from because you know whether you're doing takedowns or whether you're doing sweeps uh you always need to break your opponent's balance and get that kazushi so to get Kazushi you you don't want your opponent to see which way you're going to try to move them okay if you telegraph uh, you're a Kazushi they're going to be able to counter you or they're going to be at least be able to prevent you from landing your technique so it's very important when you're on the bottom and you're if you're super stiff and rigid you're not going to actually be be even able to feel where your opponent's center of gravity is it's going to be a lot difficult a lot more difficult to move them around and they're going to feel everything coming at you so uh, coming at them so it's important to be able to like you said steve to stay loose for your own for your own self-awareness but also to mask what you're trying to do and not to give your opponent that that uh empowerment and
0: give them something really really tough like a strong lever to work off of mm-hmm. yeah and you know the, the follow-up question to this is you know when when you tell people you have to stay loose i mean eventually at some point people are going to ask well does that mean i always have to stay loose does that mean i have to be like a just like a dead fish and not Flex a muscle ever? And the answer is of course, there's times to apply force and to apply muscle. But following up on our episode about finishing mechanics, like the time when you want to apply strength is when you have done everything else right, and adding strength is just the exclamation mark at the end of the sentence, right? If When you want to apply strength, for example, like let's say you're doing an arm bar, when you're locking up the position and and gradually denying your opponent the ability to use his or her arms or legs, you're not using strength. When you're setting up your wedges and you're kind of trying to isolate that arm, you're not using strength. When you grab that arm and you fully isolated it and you're hipping into it and you start to pull because you've done everything else right, that's the time you use strength. Um, use of strength in jiu-jitsu, and a- actually in judo as well, the, the way I like to think of it is it's like cracking a whip, right? Like, there, there's a time to apply force. Like, when, if you think about how a whip works, it's loose the whole way through except when it cracks. And that's when all the power gets applied once in a single point in time when it's most effective. And jiu is like that, too. And you especially see this in judo, where everyone is really loose and fluid, and then someone gets Kazushi, and the other guy's in the air for just a fraction of a second, and then wham, the other guy hits all of his force right away. Um, that's like a whip cracking. And it's the same thing in jujitsu too, right? You want to apply your force in powerful, emphasized moments when you've done everything else already correctly. You don't want to apply it uniformly all the way through. Absolutely. Yeah. There's also one other weird thing I've noticed in jiu which is that if you apply force uniformly, it's not as strong as if you apply it strategically and and very quickly. Like, if I'm, if I want to arm drag Matt, for example, um, you know, I don't want to grab his arm and then obviously be pulling and pulling and pulling and just not stop pulling. That's not going to work. But if I'm very, very loose when I'm around his arm and then for just a split second, I, I just give it like a sharp tug and I, I focus all of my effort into one second, that's way more effective. And that's almost univer- universally true in any position in Jiu Jitsu.
1: Yeah. And also staying loose, guys, is going to help you not only, uh, be better with your, uh, execution of technique but you're going to be a lot safer too so let's let's take the example now of of falling so if I get thrown if I'm super rigid and all that tension is in my body uh, I'm definitely not going to be able to have as as soft as a, of a landing as if I go with the throwing and uh, and break fall so it's really important too if you're if you're new to judo and, and new to the transitions from the standing position to the ground uh, learning how to get taken down safely and and getting thrown safely is is probably one of the it's one of the most single important things that a jujitsu person can learn learn from judo you can you can do judo and not know a ton of throws and not you know you like me i I generally i'll pull guard um but in in terms of of my judo training i learned it so that i knew how to take falls i knew that What the transition from the standing position to the ground would be like and i could get there safely for my own longevity so uh you you know if you get thrown you don't want to stay rigid that whole time and try and resist a lot of the time that can actually be a lot more dangerous for your body you want to learn how to go with the throw take a nice break fall and then uh, try and get back
0: to a guard as soon as possible and and interestingly the break fall is another example of that whip cracking motion right because you're totally loose in the air And then when you hit the ground, you slam your arm with force or or your leg with force onto the ground to distribute the force. It's like a whip cracking, right? You're totally loose and limber right up until the last moment. And then there's a sudden burst of energy. So it's the same, it's the same principle. So we've talked about how you control your breathing and how you control your muscles or or what you should do. I, I guess the question now is how do you realistically put this into practice when your whole body is telling you to do something different, right? Um, Part of this is just mat time, but there are some things you can do to get better at this right now. Um, One is to just constantly be practicing this every single time you're on the mat. You know, when you're doing anything, especially when you're under attack, pay attention to your breathing, pay attention to when you're stiff. Um, And I understand that this can be hard to do, so another thing that you should definitely do is ask your opponent for feedback on this. If you want to improve at this rapidly... Tell your opponent, "Hey, I'm I want to get better at controlling my breathing. I want to get better at controlling whether I'm staying loose." As soon as I clamp up like that, or as soon as I start hyperventilating, tell me right away. Um, that's a good way to draw mindfulness to anything. Um, th- like you actually see this a lot for like people who want to learn to control their heart rate and stuff. There there are actually like biofeedback devices that will do this for you. Uh, you can't really use one practically in jujitsu, but you can definitely ask your partner to tell you when you're exhibiting signs of someone who's uh, experiencing fight or flight.
1: Yeah. And, and definitely for uh, what's going to help you stay loose is, is understanding what your goal is at that moment and your concepts and you know how you how the framework of your game is put together so like we've like we've talked about in previous episodes like if you're on the bottom and someone's passing your guard and uh you know all hell is coming down on you and you're just defending it's important to understand clearly what your goals are and in this case that we're talking about you know uh, retaining guard please refer back to the old other episodes we talked about guard retention and phases of guard uh, as was taught to me by Professor Rob. Um, you you want to understand what phase of guard you're in, how to, essentially what you're doing is managing distance and replacing frames. So if you can tell where the pressure is coming from, assess the force vector, create an appropriate frame and post, and hopefully uh, get back to phase two or one of, of guard and, and create uh, meaningful grips that are going to help you uh, use your guard offensively rather than just constantly framing with your arms and being stuck in this perpetual cycle of of trying to retain guard and your opponent is doing nothing but just constantly passing your guard that's like a really bad place to be so mm-hmm. knowing what you want to do maintaining uh, managing distance and maintaining your frames is also going to help you stay in that state where you're not panicking you're not struggling all the time but you you know you can you can sort of take a step back and reassess what the next move is going to be
0: yeah yeah it's and this is kind of a good example <coughs> uh, you know staying out of your own body and staying out of your own mind and kind of observing them from a distance which is really the core of mindfulness Now, up until this point, we've talked about being mindful mostly of your your body, but the other part is being mindful of your mind. Now, at at some point in the future, I think we're going to have probably a series of conversations about mental strategy and the mental game, but for now, we can touch on this just a a little bit. Um, You definitely want to always be mindful of how your mind is responding to situations. Uh, Some common examples, and, and one that we actually just talked about in the last episode, is the old Zen concept. Of beginner's mind where you want to understand that your ego is a limiting factor and that everyone has one and you want to understand that when you have an ego you're going to be less receptive to new ideas so uh, the old zen adage is that you want to take the mindset of a beginner in everything you do this is easy to do when you're a white belt because you are a beginner and so that's why when you start Jujitsu, you normally experience really rapid learning throughout the first year or so of your training but as you get further on it becomes harder and harder and harder to maintain that beginner's mindset even if you think you're humble the reality is if you're a purple or a brown belt it gets really hard to do things like um listen to you know be, be receptive to new games if, if someone exposes you to techniques that you haven't seen or used before it also gets really hard to take advice from people who are below you in rank uh you know a lot of the time people just won't even listen to anyone if they're below them in belt level which is ridiculous i mean some of the best coaches i've had were like purple belt level right um, but additionally you know there's there's a lot of other limit limiting factors with your mind where if you're not paying attention to the mindset that you have you can be really impeding your ability to perform on the spot while also impeding your long-term performance
1: yeah i i love this concept of beginner's mind because uh my two biggest passions in life which are cooking and jujitsu, this totally happened to me uh my first few years of of learning how to be a, a, a trained chef i was I really was passionate about cooking and I was falling in love with it. I was just like this is so awesome. I feel like I can cook anything. I feel like uh you know I, I, my mistakes are few and far between. I'm I'm constantly on the ball. My ideas are flowing and like uh I'm just so passionate about cooking and I'm so able to to make anything. And then you know that that term The more you learn, the less you know, Mm -hmm. really hit me hard when I was in my third or fourth year of cooking where I was more experienced, I was a better cook than when I first started. Yet I was finding it was harder to come up with new menu ideas. It was harder for me to to come up with new dishes, and that was because I had uh, experienced way more at that time. And it was everything that I now when I'm trying to create a menu or create a dish, I have so many more options to choose from, and I'm and I'm a lot harder on myself when it comes time to actually executing something. And it's the same in jujitsu when I was a white and blue belt. Like you just go in there and basically bang, and like you're you know it's it's a great time. You know you go to competitions the level isn't as good and you feel like you're on top of the world but then the further you go up into jiu-jitsu you realize like oh my god there's so much i don't know there the more you learn the, the more you realize you don't know stuff and it's it's a it's a lifelong journey where there's actually no end so at first you know you feel like you're really good and you feel like this talented uh talented person and then as you progress through you realize how deep the sport or act whatever activity it is how much there is to it and uh things become a lot more challenging and a lot more daunting um, and that's why i'm fortunate enough to have some really good junior students in my school and a lot of them are come to me and they say hey did you see uh you know for example did you see gordon's new guard pass uh G- gordon's new guard pass series or his you know the new the newest flavor or whatever and i have to sort of refer back and say you know what like i need to study more they're reminding me that there's still so much more to learn even though i consider myself to have a pretty open mind when it comes to all the different games and styles of jujitsu it's sometimes the most junior students that will remind you that hey you still have to study otherwise you're going to stay stagnant and uh that's that's where you see a lot of these instructors nowadays they're they stay stagnant they have their game and and they never really move forward which isn't good for uh
0: the the students yeah you know it's it's funny i think that when it comes to the the life cycle and of maturity and learning it's kind of like a bell curve where when you start something new you don't have a lot of ego because you don't know anything so you're learning is really really rapid but then over time as you get more and more confident in what you know your ego gets bigger and bigger and you have a harder time learning but then once you get really advanced you kind of have to confront that at some point and then your ego goes back down and you start learning a lot more a lot more again Um, it's you know we we talked about how um adopting a beginner's mindset or failing to do so can impede your your learning but there's other impacts to to failing to have a beginner's mindset as well i mean i can say from personal experience you know i when i had uh, my daughter I, I took a lot of time off of jiu-jitsu and you know a lot of that was because i was a new father um, but honestly i probably could have come back to training more th- more quickly than i did but I, if i'm honest with myself it had kind of stopped being fun and it took me a long time to figure out why and it's basically because i had gotten so set in my ways in terms of the game i played that i was just doing the same thing every class and i if i'm going to be completely honest with myself i was honestly afraid of deviating from that game because i knew that if i did things i wasn't good and experienced at, i'd probably lose and when you're walking around with like a brown belt or whatever you it's very hard to put yourself in a situation where a purple belt or a blue belt could kick your ass right so uh i if i'm honest with myself i kind of forced myself into this plateau because i was afraid to deviate from what had worked in the past and as a result i wasn't learning i wasn't growing and it it just stopped being fun so when i came back I, i took a lot of things out of my game on purpose and started try, focusing on new moves and immediately i started learning way more than i had in the past and really enjoyed jujitsu more than i had in a long time yeah and and you know like they say always a
1: white belt right like even when you get your black belt you're just a white belt amongst black belts so really the belts don't matter uh the, the important thing is just to have that that mindset where, you know, I I try and, I try and tell my guys every day, like, try and, try and think of one thing that you do well, one thing you could do better, and think of a plan that you can use to get one that one percent better every day if you can just do that and chip at it a little bit at a uh, little bit at a time that's where you're gonna see benefits in the long run whereas if you you know it, there's such a thing as getting burnt out in jujitsu and and trying training way too hard and then you know you over over time you kind of lose that hunger you learn that lose the de- lose the desire to keep learning and uh that's something that you should
0: never lose yeah, it's okay to hit plateaus or to, um, you know, to have a down period in jujitsu or to get beat up, you know. But it's it, when you get to the point where you're not enjoying things anymore and you're not learning, that's the real red flag that you got to deal with. Um, that's the kind of thing that that's where people like get their blue belt or they get their purple belt or whatever, and then eventually they just disappear and you never see them again. It's got to always be fun and you've got to always be learning, or else. Your kind of your days are numbered when it comes to jujitsu training. That's probably the most important thing for longevity is keeping it fun the whole way through. Yeah cool so uh, other things on this topic of being mindful um you know being mindful of when your body needs a break being mindful of what to do when you're getting older you know it's um stress and recovery are such an important part of of everything in life not just jujitsu, but but work um you know however in the case of jiu-jitsu uh, strate- being strategic with stress and recovery is such an important part of the game you know overtraining in jiu-jitsu is a big, big problem. Um, And it's very common, especially for younger or less experienced people to just be on the mats like every day. I mean, I remember when I started training, I was doing like 10 to 14 classes a week like I was and I wasn't even competing I was just I was just like a super casual at the time Um, but you've especially as you get older uh, you have to understand that your body actually improves with rest this is something that is you know scientifically proven across the board but a lot of people just don't heed Um, when you train you need to make sure if you want to see true gains, you need to make sure that your body has periods to rest or else your body is going to start cannibalizing itself. This is especially noticeable in weightlifting, where if you don't have appropriate rest periods between sessions, you are not going to see any gains. You'll probably actually wind up going backwards because your body is going to start cannibalizing yourself. But there's also a matter of mental exhaustion and emotional exhaustion as well right it's, it's just the same where you need to give these muscles a break you need to make sure that you do have time off the mat and you're using that time off the mat effectively to recuperate from the the intense activities on the mat yeah, and, and there's gonna be those guys out there that say, oh, well, you know,
1: you say that rest recovery is a problem. Uh, no, it's not. I, I train all the time. It's like, honestly, if there's very few people out there that can train two to three times a day, uh, and not, Start losing actual progress by resting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you deny that, you're either under twenty or you're on steroids. And there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of people in the sport that are on steroids. So that I find that usually the guys at the highest level, which are generally on steroids, are the ones that say there's no such thing as overtraining. Uh, I, I I train a lot, uh, and you know probably I'd say probably about twelve times a week, and training. Uh, especially when i hit 30 i really started getting uh different injuries that weren't just from traumatic experiences but were were from wear and tear mm-hmm. uh and i realized that yes no this is a thing like you you have to listen to your body you have to let your body recover and and a big part of this is being self-aware enough to to uh, to uh to let that happen and it's hard to when when now we're surrounded by so much social media you know if i go on if i go on instagram And I see Cobrinha and he's doing all of his drills or whatever. I'm thinking, man, like I got to train harder. This is so motivating for me. And it's hard for, especially if you have a day job and you want to compete at a high level or you just want to train as much as you can. It's hard to see other people in their life be able to train so much. And it's hard to to not think, man, like I'm falling behind. Like there's always someone that's going to be training harder than me. So having that self-awareness and self-control to be able to say, you know what? I did train hard. I I need a rest. I my body is not Cobrinha's body. My body is my own body. Uh, I'm not training the way he's training. I, I, we all have our own different journeys. It's really important for you to have that humbleness and awareness of self to be able to know when you've done enough and when it's time to rest and uh, if if you can regulate those two things you're going to have way more benefits than if you just run yourself into the ground and i think i think from a long-term point of view you're going to enjoy the sport a lot much more which is which has always been my goal for jiu-jitsu is to to
0: enjoy it into a late period of life yeah i think if you want a good example of why stress and recovery are important to understand take a look at what like early stage mma fighters were like back in the 90s where there was no strategic training plan these guys basically just went into the gym and murdered each other when they were training and then they'd go and fight and murder each other whereas you look at how they train now where it's very scientific they they focus on the body biology stress and recovery and they're strategic in their training and look at the difference in health in these guys and performance in these guys over the years, right? I mean, if you if you look at where those old-school MMA fighters are now and what their health is like now, nobody would want to wind up like they do. Whereas you look at the guys now, like GSP, you know, guys like this who are much more strategic in their training, and the results across the board, both to their long-term health and their in-ring performance, really do speak for themselves. Um, what's interesting, <clears throat> Matt, is that a lot of what we've talked about here when it comes to stress and and recovery is kind of universal to all walks of life, right? Uh, You know, you mentioned that it's, really a bad idea to try to train harder than the other guy and and there's a a lot of strategy here that I apply on the job at work right Um, you see a lot of pressure in the office world to work longer hours like a lot of people are are, there's almost um (laughs) there's actually a term for this now yeah it's it's called hustle porn and basically you know there's this whole um it just this mentality right now that oh you gotta hustle to do everything you gotta hustle to do everything and people brag about this like it's some sort of badge of honor like I worked 14 hours a day every day you know i'm a a hustle master i'm a badass well no you're not right like if if you're working 14 hours a day and i'm working eight hours a day and i'm getting more done than you are that's not something you should be bragging about right you should be working on getting you should be working on emphasizing and getting exponential gains rather than just putting in more time like
1: And those gains go beyond currency or
0: or status at work. It could be, you know, more skill level results, right? Skill,
1: time with your wife and kids, uh, sleep. Like these are the things that I realized in the culinary arts. I was like, well, I'm working really hard. I'm working harder than pretty much any other department in the hotel. Uh, and that's rewarding in its own way. But at the other token, it's like, well... A lot of them are making more than me and uh, a lot of them are being able to take all their breaks and they enjoy their life outside of work a lot more. They're not getting resentful, which is something that happens a lot when you're when you work too hard at, uh, at your job. And a lot of the time I hear so many times, uh, especially with people that I know personally that have put so many extra hours in at work and in the end, their company doesn't really care about it. It doesn't mean yeah. anything to them. In fact, they a lot of the they try they
0: almost get fired or they they try and get pushed on so or or even if they don't they just might still not get the results they want to get despite (coughs) putting in all of that time right i mean an important takeaway here is that hours worked is not equal to results um i mean let me give you an example right this is the way i I think about it at work and this is the way i describe it to people who like to brag about how how much they hustle right if the average work day and this translates to jujitsu as well right if the average amount of work that you put in is eight hours a day let's say let's say i could triple that let's say i'm a robot and i could work 24 hours a day i don't need to sleep i don't need to eat i don't need to go to the bathroom i can work 24 hours a day nonstop, right if the best i can expect to get then is to be three times better because i worked three times harder that's not enough right like if i want to be the best in the world being three times better than i am now is not going to do it for me there are people out there who are going to be 10 times better or 100 times better and you can't get that good by just putting in more hours because there's only 24 hours in a day right you can only scale up time so much you if you want to be 10x better or 100x better you can only do that through exponential efficiency gains or or quantum leaps in your knowledge or your training and you don't get that just by putting in more work Because the maximum you can get by just putting in more work is 3x better. Um, That's an important thing to understand when you're talking about optimization and efficiency. And it's super important in something like jiu-jitsu when your body's on the line. Like, it is completely possible to get more out of two hours a day training than some people get out of six hours a day training. It's also possible to get more out of like casual training where you train like four, three or four times a week versus someone who does it full time. It's totally possible. I see this all the time. It comes down to how you maximize the time you have on the mat. Yeah. This is starting to sound like the four hour work week. It very is. much is. Yeah. I mean, the four hour work week is a great example of how to apply this in, in a lifestyle and in a work setting, right? How to make sure that rather than trying to kill yourself with time worked you're looking for ways to get the most out of the money and the time that you have and you can do the exact same thing in jiu-jitsu we're going to talk about rapid learning techniques in future episodes but this is kind of one of the the most important things that you can understand as a practitioner you are not going to be able to win the battle just by putting in more hours you're actually better off using those extra hours to let your body rest when it needs that rest yeah so so
1: many times i see some of these local mma fighters and you know they're always posting on instagram like oh i'm grinding i'm grinding i'm did, went to the gym this morning lifted all these weights so i'm gonna go train after this and then i'm gonna go lift weights again all this and then i then they go in the cage and they have a horrible performance mm-hmm. and it's true that uh you know just because you're putting in all that effort does not necessarily mean you're gonna get the results that you need like what's more important that you can say you put in all those hours and and you know that 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 can be an advantage to a competitor in itself but what's more important is that you actually complete the mission and you get the victory uh if, if we're talking about mma fighters so it is true that you know uh not all gyms not all instruction not all training partners are created equal and it does come down to those things
0: yeah yeah so we've talked quite extensively about uh, being mindful of your mind being mindful of your body but the other thing is being mindful of your training partner right you know there are things that you want to be mindful of in the behavior of your training partner both so that you can give them feedback to improve but also so that you can maximize your own performance as well and your own learning experience so we talked about this earlier um be mindful of your opponents and how they're breathing whether they're, they're tensing up. This is usually a sign that to some level they're afraid or uncomfortable and they're not really a master of their own body at this point in time. The best thing you can do in this situation is give that person feedback. I know everyone has already been told a hundred times, you know, breathe slower, uh, stay loose, but part of the way that you really improve that over time is you just need to hear that a hundred times you need to get that feedback when you're doing the wrong thing so that you know to correct it on the spot good feedback is feedback that is timely right you want to tell people right away when something is happening so that they can make the correction immediately Um, but another part of this too is understanding that your opponent's actions can actually be detrimental to your training. You know, if I go in there for a casual role and my opponent is going in there to win the Mundials, <laughs> you know, if we've got a mismatch in training expectations, um, we're doing each other a disservice. Uh, similarly, if I'm going in there and I have never trained footlocks in my life and my opponent is a heel hook master and he wants to win the Mundials. This is also a bad experience. So it, it never hurt. I'm not saying don't train this stuff. I'm just saying if, if you're going to do something that your opponent might not be expecting, you need to at least inform them of that. It's just good. It's just good training etiquette. I mean, I've gone in there with guys where, you know, I'm in there and I just want a casual roll after, after work. And then immediately they just dive on me. And honestly, i don't like that i mean i look if you want to train intense that's fine we can train intense but i at least want to know that that's what we're doing (laughs) you know you at least owe it to your partner to make sure that you're (laughs) in agreement about what the role is going to entail
1: yeah so many so many times when you roll with lower ranks whether it be white belts or even kids (laughs) uh you know, the, you'll have a role and you, you'll be totally loose. Allow them to get into armbar situations. You know, you work your way out. And and then after you shake hands, they're like, oh, I almost got you. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, no, I, you didn't almost get me. And the fact that you don't have that self-awareness to realize that I'm playing with you and helping you learn – um is something that we now have to talk about it's something we now have to address because um you know if you're catching black belts in submissions there's a there's a chance that 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 you did catch them legitimately it happens at my club all the time oh yeah yeah i get tapped out all the time yeah but uh also a good chance if if you're a lower rank and you catch your your instructor um basically you need to learn how to act which means you know you're not gonna brag about it and it's totally fine for you to say Hey, did you let me get that or or, or what what sort of happened there? Like I, if you pass your instructor's guard and, you know, usually they're smashing you 90% of the time and you take that home as a personal victory. You you need to reassess, did that actually happen or did they let me get into a position where I normally wouldn't even get to if they were going 100%. And it's important to have that awareness of the situation to even see because it's gonna, it's gonna allow you to get that third person view a little bit better. And, uh, you're, you know, you gotta realize sometimes as an instructor that you could be maybe the, you know, most of the time, I'm, I'm probably the best grappler in the room. So for me to get good training, if I just try and smash everyone, pass everyone's guard, smash, smash, that's all I'm going to do is, is always be on on the winning situation i'm never going to be able to escape arm bars i'm never going to get to uh, escape chokes and escape the back so a lot of the time it's really common if your instructor is a is good enough to not have an ego and let you get into these certain positions you know that's because they're trying to do themselves a favor but also you a favor they want you to get in those Mm -hmm. positions uh and they want you to feel what it's like to attack someone's back who's at a high level
0: yeah every everybody hates the guy who celebrates winning on the mat at the gym it's the worst right when you're training With a guy, and you're you're rolling, and either they they get a tap or even they just do okay, and then they're running around and bragging and celebrating like they just won gold at the Worlds. Like, that is the absolute worst. But in addition to being incredibly obnoxious, it also denies you the opportunity to learn. Because, uh, you know, we talked about psychological safety in the last episode, which is that you want to create an environment where people are willing to freely exchange ideas when you let your ego run rampant like that and you're running around bragging i'm not going to help you poke holes in your game anymore right like i mean there's two ways you can deal with this this happens to me a lot where like some some i'm rolling with some white belt and they like try to dive on an armbar and they've got nothing right like this happens all the time where like technically they're grabbing your arm but they have no lever isolation or anything yeah so they like they might think they have something but meanwhile i'm busy passing their guard or sweeping them um and if they go if they come up to me i and they're like i almost got you man i almost got you so, i'm not gonna talk or help you it's like fine do it, think whatever you want but if they come to me and say hey was that was that actually was i actually close is there anything i could have done better then i can help them troubleshoot their game then they Absolutely. have then they have a beginner's mind then they've created psychological safety where we can have an open conversation about these things but if they're just gonna <laughs> they're gonna start prematurely celebrating when they didn't actually win anything it it closes the conversation off and then i can no longer help them right yeah and and
1: and there's it's funny because it seems that some people come in and they're, they may be brand new, but they have super mature traits as a white belt. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they'll be loose. They won't uh, overexert themselves. They won't have such an ego where they feel like they need to prove something to you and uh you'll have a great role and a great learning experience then there seems to be those people that come in and you know you'll let them pass you'll let them get positions and for you during the role you think okay well they understand that you're letting this happen like uh, being a good instructor and then after they they think they you hear from them that they uh you know they said to someone else oh i almost had almost had an arm bar or or whatever i passed matt's guard today or i almost got or i did get him or whatever it's like Okay, well, you totally miss the point of the exercise. Yeah, right? yeah. if they don't have that self awareness awareness yet, that's a really good way to judge the overall maturity of a fighter. Yeah, and and, and, and maturity is it's funny some people some people seem to have it. And some people seem to totally be oblivious
0: to that. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that some people seem to even develop this at a white belt level and some people never do. And I think one of the common traits that I've observed behind people who are really, really high performers in jiu-jitsu and wind up becoming awesome purple and brown and black belts, they're the people who are always in there keeping it playful. They never get all wrapped up in their ego when they're training. They're just there to learn and to pay attention and to respect their partner. Most of the people I know who are incredibly good at jiu-jitsu exhibit those traits. I mean i i rolled the other day with a, a guy who's much less experienced than me and he kicked my ass but man he was so humble and respectful the whole time through um like it's just that's a very common trait amongst people who learn rapidly in jiu and it's because they've shelved that ego yeah and shelving your
1: ego guys doesn't necessarily mean you shelve it and it's gone it's going to be a constant thing it's something that even as you get into the black belt levels you're going to have to it's it's everyday thing you have to remind yourself every day to shelf the ego uh, and and it can be a struggle for some people more than others but it's not you know it's it's just you have to always remind yourself to have that beginner's mind
0: yeah it's you know it's funny this kind of ties the conversation right back to what we said at the beginning where um you you can never truly kill ego Uh, you can never truly kill fear the objective is not to kill or defeat these things it is to come to terms with them and to establish a degree of acceptance and understanding with them and to even utilize those as motivating factors to be kind of the master of your own mind and body versus being reactive to what your mind and body are telling you cool absolutely so i I think that was a really awesome chat Uh, we got some questions so first question from mike how did you guys learn to calm down during a roll? I, I would like to hope I've gotten past the quote-unquote holy shit and panic portion of my BJJ game, but every higher level person I roll with tells me I need to loosen up or relax more, and as much as I think I am, apparently I am not. Um, th- this question is, of course, timely, because this has been the topic of this whole episode, Um, and actually this question inspired a lot of this episode. So, uh Mike, hopefully this whole episode kind of answered your questions but just to tie it back up together it comes down to mindfulness of what your your mind and your body are doing you can never truly control what your mind and your body are doing but you can become aware of these things you can separate yourself and establish some distance between between yourself and these things and learn to stop being reactive and and responding uh, immediately to how your mind and your body behave
1: yeah, and and to Steve's point, uh, something that we talked about earlier was just you know create a dialogue between you and your training partner, ask your instructor, and try and get that that super valuable real real time conversation where if you're doing something wrong in the moment, like your 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 breathing is too heavy, or you're going a little bit more strength, or you know you're you're tensing up ask for your training partners and your instructors to to identify that in the moment and give you that immediate feedback that is some of the the most valuable training that you can get and uh having that open dialogue and that expectation from your training partners and instructors is something that is extremely valuable and is uh, it's guaranteed to get you better results
0: yeah this is actually um an important part of performance psychology feedback is far more effective if it's timely if you receive feedback immediately after the incident that the feedback is about. It's going to be much more sticky and easy to action on than if you get it later. So the best way to give feedback is immediately. Uh, That's something that everyone should always be aware of. But a lot of people are not comfortable giving feedback like that. So the best thing that you can do as someone who wants to improve is to actively and repeatedly ask for that feedback in a timely fashion.
1: Yeah, and and also just, uh, I don't know what kind of a game you have, Mike, but just, just think, like, if, if you're playing off your back, like, maybe you're a top player and you're always on top trying to, trying to go hard or whatever. If you try and concede to a bottom position, it might also help you be a little bit less spazzy and be a little bit more in control because not only are you training yourself, uh to to be in a a a bad position from the get-go but it's going to help you uh give your opponent the advantage of gravity and maybe uh maybe just working on framing and regarding and hip movement is something that can help you uh become a you know quote-unquote safer training partner or you know not yeah. have such a holy shit moment as you, <laughs> as you like to say yeah
0: and bear in mind you know it's it all comes down to as we talked about earlier getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and that takes a long long time like if, if you're if you're at a white belt level it's going to take a while before, like it's going to take hundreds and hundreds of repetitions before you get comfortable in the awkward positions that jujitsu puts you in. So a lot of, in addition to the things that we've talked about, a lot of it is just time. Uh, there's really no substitute for experience when it comes to this thing. Your body is naturally going to respond fearfully. And sometimes you just need to train enough that these situations become known and comfortable to your body and mind and you don't jump into that fight or flight response because you've seen it before 100 times.
1: Yeah and just don't don't think of it like when you first of all when you go into a, a role with your training partners, you know ask yourself am I going 100 or am I going 80%? Am I going 70%? could I could I tone this down a little bit and still not get smashed? If could I scale back my intensity? and still have good benefits and good results and also ask yourself you know am i looking at this as a fight or am i just fighting to control levers am i fighting to uh use the concepts that i i i'm i've learned in jiu-jitsu rather than thinking about fighting my actual training partner because when i go into the gym i don't think that i'm fighting my training partners i'm thinking that i'm all i'm doing is trying to fight for levers if you start looking at jiu as a lever battle and not a fight uh it, it could be a, a helpful way to to slow down and make yourself a lot more technical
0: yeah yeah makes sense makes sense well, I think that was an awesome conversation. Um, thanks again, Matt, for all your insight on this. Uh, again, to everyone out there, please do keep your questions coming in. Um, we've we've kind of got a, a good talk here, I think, about the mindfulness aspect of jujitsu and, and actually of life in general. But this is probably going to lead into a series of conversations about the mental game and about learning going forward. So expect that over the next while. Also, uh, we've received some good feedback asking for topics for future episodes there were a few things that people specifically wanted us to talk about if you do have any questions or ideas for specific episodes please do share we're always looking for content we're always looking for things we can discuss that will deliver value to you so please do do be uh, don't be afraid to reach out to us if you've got anything particularly that you want to see us cover
1: yeah guys thanks a lot it was a great chat uh please like and share and we'll see you next time thanks a lot thanks take care